Welcome to a new episode of the Film at Lincoln Center podcast. This week, we're presenting a conversation between filmmakers David Fincher and Kent Jones on the recently released Mank. Mank follows the 1930s Hollywood screenwriter Herman J. Mankiewicz, played by Gary Oldman, as he develops the screenplay for Citizen Kane. Mank is now available on Netflix. This talk was first available to FLC members, who play such a vital role in all we do. Memberships start at just $85 and offer year-round discounts to films and festivals, exclusive invitations to sneak previews, filmmaker conversations, film clubs, and so much more. If you're interested in supporting FLC by becoming a member, visit filmlink.org members for more information. Now, let's continue to the talk. I wanted to start, like I told you, by talking about the uh, approach to the past. Because there's something that you said to me a ways back when you were talking about the kind of way that you want the image to look in general. You said you want to hit pe- penetrate people's brain pans. <laughs> solid as opposed to um, amorphous and um, gauzy and soft. Um, is the way that most people tend to go when they're thinking about the past, particularly the 20s and 30s. So... Um, and 40s. So I just, uh, I wanted to start there. And that's been your approach to the past um, in in other films. And with this one, you're doing it in black and white. Um, So I just kind of wanted to roll from that. Well, uh, black and white is, you you know, know, as a, as a, um, as a medium is, um, is, is probably more known for it. Um, for its resolution. I mean, it's a single emulsion, so it, it doesn't have kind of an inherent sort of softness. Um, uh, I think that we're much, um, we're, we're more indoctrinated to the idea, certainly from the 1970s on, that, um, that color cinematography would be separated. You know, the foreground, mid-ground, and background would be separated in terms of planes of focus. And that's really become sort of an established norm. You know, when, you, when you're talking about, uh, certainly when you're talking about Greg Toland and, and, and when you're talking about Kane, you're talking about, you know, a single emulsion, um, very wide angle lenses that are, um, you know, wide angle lenses tend to give the image a little bit more kind of bite and, 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 and or feel like they're contrastier. And they're, then- um, accordingly. Yeah, and 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 when, especially when you know we're shooting at T sixteen, like everything is going to be in, in focus. So there is a tendency for that to be um, a, a much more, um, you know, feel more resolute. Right. Um, and and so so that you know, I mean, as far as Zodiac was concerned, you know, and and Benjamin Button, yeah. those are two films that um, were shot in 2K, I mean, and I'm being generous, they were shot in HD, and, and, and we kind of slightly interpolated them, upper-res them to, to 2K. Um, but the, but the- Piper, Right, and then Benjamin. Well, yes, and, and, and we, and, and, and because you're starting with, you know, it's a two-thirds inch sensor, so it's a little bit, it's already got more perceivable depth of field. And so we shot at a one six, we shot wide open on, on um, digi primes and, and digi zooms at the time. And we 
try to shoot the entire uh, movie um, at, at that sort of really minimal um, T-stop. Yeah. Um, but but Mank was so so we started with a with a format that's more akin to 16 millimeter and more akin to um, that kind of perceived up the field. And then we did our best to kind of soften it and, and make it feel, but, but I still felt like, um, you know, we didn't do a lot of, certainly on Benjamin, but we probably had more smoke and more, um, there was more stuff in the air between us and, and the actors on, on Zodiac was, it was a lot less, you know, it was a lot cleaner. And, and that's, a little bit based on just the way I remember the seventies, you know, it, it, it was, I mean, we had smoke in bars and we had smoke in the, in the sort of the bullpen area of the Chronicle, but, but, you know, for the most part, it was, it was pretty clean. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, I don't know that we really thought about it, You know, it, it wasn't to be assaultive or to be, you know, I, I would think that the, um, you know, j- just by just by stopping down to T eleven or T T sixteen and having the the depth of that extra depth of field, you know, we ended up um, degrading the image. You know, we shot eight K. Yeah. We shot eight K on a thirty millimeter sensor, and we shot most of the film at a at a. T11 and some sometimes at T16. We did night, um, we did day for night exteriors, and in that stuff we wanted to see everything at a two. Right. So, okay. so we were actually in those cases, you know, we joke about it, but we using the Masonite filter. It was like we were had we had so much ND in the in the cameras that you could barely see through. You couldn't see through the lens with the naked eye because. It was just too, it was too uh, filtered. And then but, you added but, clouds, right? We added clouds, yes. We, we added a lot. We added, you know, the, the, we tested almost everything. You know, we, we tested every lens out there. And, and we ended up, strangely enough, back um, on the lenses that we'd shot, the lenses that we owned that we'd shot Mindhunter with um, because the Leica Sumaluxes were just, you know, across the board, the, the best no character, um, you know, light collectors, you know, they were just, they're perfectly flat. They're, you know, they don't have any kind of chromatic aberration. They're, they're Mm -hmm. so sharp across the field. And we were always like, we were looking for the special sauce of a, of a super Baltar. We were looking for, but we didn't end up getting it. And for the most part, you know, the strange thing about shooting at those kinds of deep stops is that almost all the lenses that have been engineered since the 60s are, are tuned and, and specifically designed to have their highest resolving power, you know, right around wide open. Yeah. Um, so by the time you get past T8 or to T11 or something, you know, they actually degrade um, a lot. And we ended up so we ended up shooting with really sharp lenses. We ended up shooting in 8K. We ended up shooting at really deep stops. And then we kind of threw away half the resolution. We just literally dialed it to be softer right. over, the, over the field in order to just make it feel like it was in the ballpark of, uh, of you know, Eastman negative. And did you ever think about shooting in an academy ratio? 
I did. You know, th this was, um, uh, you know, it, it's not out of selfishness, yeah. <laughs> but, but, but it was, listen, I originally, when we were talking about making the movie back in, in 1996 or 97, I was ready to endure, you know, uh, Mitchell BNC and, and to shoot <laughs> double X and, and to do all that stuff, you know, to do it in that, and when it got right down to it um, this time, um, you know, we talked about four by three. I just, I have so little affinity for that as a, as a window, you know, as a sort of window to compose with. I was never much good at it in shooting television commercials, which, you know, when I started way back when, um, they were all four by three. You know, you couldn't even talk, you know, an, an advertiser into letterboxing you know, um, for even for 16 by nine, you know, that was considered like far too radical and ask. Um, so, so, but, but I remember like, you know, it was fun for a, a Pepsi can, you know, four by three is probably pretty good for that, but you get into the 12 ounce bottle and it was like, it was too vertical. And then, you know, shooting in cars was, was always such a problem because you ended up with just like a little sliver of, the backside of someone's head in the mm -hmm. foreground. It was, um, I just find it, uh, it was just a bridge I couldn't cross. And, and we were kind of all set up for the aspect ratio that, um, that I shot everything for Netflix in, which is, uh, we started on, on House of Cards and then on, on Mindhunter with a, a 2.21 to one aspect right. ratio, which is, 70 millimeter five yeah. perf right. um, spherical and and it's a widescreen format that is uh i i just find it for a 17 for for a 178 or 16 by 9 display it's wide enough to say it's widescreen and it and it still uses enough of the display that you don't feel like um you're looking through a mail slot so was in terms of in terms of the what you mentioned Greg Toland, I mean, you know, was Citizen Kane kind of like the guide in terms of Um It was the it was the beginning of the conversation, you know. Right. I mean it wanted to be sort of in parallel. I mean I, I think that, that, film, that film doesn't look like other movies from the era either, really. No, it really doesn't. And and no, we talked about listen, we, we were all over the map. We talked about Sweet Smile Success, we talked about Rebecca, we talked about uh, Grapes of Wrath. We talked about Kane. Uh, um, um, you know the 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 funny, the strange thing about um, um, trying to kind of lasso um, a look was uh, how inapplicable, how inapplicable um, um, what Toland and Wells did on Kane was to our specific story, and I and I'll explain a great deal of cane takes place in rooms that look like mausoleums, you know, Thatcher Memorial Library, even Jed Leland's nursing home, you know, um, uh, Bernstein's, you know, office, yeah. you know, there's so much, uh, I mean, even, I mean, certainly um, the, the, the newspaper, 
yeah. um, has, you know, is, is a little more sort of wood and antiqued and has the dividing rails and the, and the, and those iron columns that, that, that make it feel like a, uh, you know, loft space or a um, loft space over a, a retail space um, in New York city. But it still felt like almost everything felt like, you know, it's either the it's it's either the mausoleum where the bodies are buried or the undertaker's right. <laughs> workshop, and that was kind of, you know. And when you have you know shafts of light coming through rooms like that, that's kind of what you, or that's sort of what I felt um, was the look of Kane. And and we were dealing with Los Angeles, and Los Angeles is bright. It's the desert. You know, when you're in Victorville, you're in the high desert, and it's mm -hmm. and it's you know, it's scorpions and rattlesnakes and some cattle and, and, you know, yeah. tr trees that are, that are kind of sticking up out of the sand. And um, so we were eat there. That, that's just a spot. Yeah. The what, what? What is there for the cattle to eat? <laughs> <laughs> you have to bring it. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> they're very well cared for though. I, I will Good. say that for, for the SPCA. Um, but, but to find it, it would, Yes, they are. Yeah. And, and, and what, we were, what we were doing was kind of um, picking and choosing the areas where we could do things that sort of supported the idea of an homage. Yeah. And then obviously where, you know, when you're talking about, you know, the back lot at Paramount or the, or the Washington gates at, at um, um, uh, MGM, you're, this is hot los angeles sunlight and so it was a very there there were certain things that even in an attempt to pay homage to to toland they just weren't you know it was probably more applicable that his work on uh on uh groups of wrath best years of yeah um so the one here <clears throat> but the one space that really does look like a mausoleum appropriately is san simeon yeah uh, and Rightfully so, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad, I'm glad you concur. But that, yeah, that we, we, we were trying to do, you know, a little bit of, not Dracula's castle, but, but, yeah. but certainly, yeah, the castle on the hill. Yeah, which is probably what it would, I mean, I've never been there, but it must be. To San Simeon? Yeah, it it's unbelievable. It, it truly is one of the most, um, it, it, it's, it's interesting how, um, ornate it is and yet how strangely masculine it's because because it doesn't it feels it doesn't feel um uh you know there's just a lot of concrete there's a lot you know there's a lot of poured in place concrete and 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 formed concrete and that's how they sort of glued you know the 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 monasteries that he would purchase and the and the and the um, yeah. chapels and you know cathedral, you know sections of cathedrals that he would bring back from Europe, and and Julia Morgan was sort of expected to to Frankenstein this whole thing together, and it was it's fascinating. It, it it's um, we almost couldn't do it justice. There's so much like when you look at real the real tile work and the real. I mean, it's it, it's so uh, you know it has so many ripples and deformations and, and they're in the mosaic of tile and in the mosaic of, of the kind of, you know, in the, in the, 
the great room where they would serve dinner, um, you know, that there, I don't think there's a level piece of floor in that, you know, that whole place. It's, it's, it's unbelievably taxing on the eyes when you actually take it in. You can't believe how much, uh, yeah, it's just, it, there's no corner that isn't, doesn't have something in it. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, <clears throat> so I, you know, I mean, it's a very, very, it's a movie is, that exists in a very, very complicated relationship with the old idea of um, the golden age of Hollywood. Yeah. That, you know, I mean, in the one sense, it's a, I've, the way that I experience it is like, you know, visually and emotionally, it's a beautiful homage from the inside out in the sense that, you know, the way that the look of it is, is just like grows out of someone who's responded to that to the best of that well i i think that the you know there there you know there's no doubt that one of the things that we're talking about in 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 hollywood and in politics is that there are no new ideas (laughs) i mean everything old is new again and 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 you know hollywood has for all of the um technological innovations um hollywood from a decision making and um you know, sort of self-mythologizing standpoint has not really um, changed very much, and um, and 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 that was interesting to me. I I, I felt like, um, you know, it was, it was my father pointed out something that was uh, interesting, and and I really had not given it any thought. But we were talking about um, we were talking about. Mankiewicz's contempt for screenwriting. My father did not share um, any of Herman's. Uh, he was he was in love with the movies. He 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 was ostensibly raised by the movies. You know, he he had spent an inordinate amount of his youth um, um, being sort of babysat at um, at at the movies, and was very much kind of in love with. Um, you know, I think the order. That, that screenwriting could, could make out of, you know, a, a character's trajectory or, you know, uh, a happy ending or, and um, so he, in, in a way, he appreciated all of the things that Herman had to say about all the snide things mm-hmm. that Herman had to say about Hollywood, but he didn't have any experience with that. And, um, and I think, I think one of the one of the at the time we were discussing this you know again this these two different points of view my dad saw Hollywood much more in in uh, Stanley Donovan terms you know or much more in in singing in the rain terms than he did in in you know in Mankiewicz's view of of the the sort of degeneracy of 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 the art form and and I was trying to kind of wrestle with this. That didn't make sense to me. And he was he pointed it out. He said, you know, in in 1940, um, talking pictures were ostensibly as new a form of entertainment slash distraction mm-hmm. as MTV was at the time that he was writing the script. And what year and was that, he born? He was born in 1930. Okay, so he was born in 1930 in Texas, and then lived most of his um, youth in in Tulsa until he was able to get out at 16. 
Yeah. And he, uh, um, you know, and he, he loved, you know, he loved Hecht and Alexander and Kaufman and, and Mankiewicz, both Mankiewicz. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and he, and he, you know, revered what it is that they had done and, and really embraced it and wanted, and, you know, there were times when I would be reading the script and saying, you know, all this character is doing is rattling off, you know, backstory and, and giving us exposition. And he would be like, that's what, that's what these movies were like. You know, you have to, you have to, you have to embrace it or we have to stop and, and give a history lesson. And I don't feel like that's, uh, that's a better solution. Yeah. Right. Did he, it's interesting that, but did, <clears throat> the idea of making a movie about Herman Mankiewicz come from both of you or. It was... came from me. Um, he, he, he was, he was retiring from writing magazine stories. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he, uh, I think that he felt, you know, my dad was um, sort of insatiably curious and a, not a workaholic, you know, he, he, he was, um, he, he was somebody who, he was not afraid of, of, you know, working 14, 15 hours a day on something that he was passionate about, but he was not looking for, you know, 14 hours worth of work on any given day. I have a photograph of him asleep in like 1976. And, and, you know, um, that I would call it, you know, he would always say, uh, writing is thinking. And I would say, yeah, but writing is not sleeping, is it? And he would, <laughs> and, and so I would take these photos of him every once in a while at like his 3.30 to 4 o'clock nap yeah, and right. just go, okay, so this is, this is, technically this is thinking, is it not? Because <laughs> um, it looks a lot like sleeping. Um, but but uh, he... Uh, it is a lot of uh, waiting, though. It is. There is that waiting, yeah, waiting for calls back. Um, no, I mean, but, you know, for the words to come. Yeah. yeah, and and or as he used to say, writing is rewriting. You know, and um, when I would write, I would wait to the last minute. You know, to to do a, a paper for um, you know high school or something, and I would show it to him on Saturday before it was due on Monday, and he would say, "This is a great first pass," and I would say, "But I, you know, I mean, I think with a few little." He was like, "No, like this is a good first pass." And now, luckily, since it's eleven a.m. on Saturday, you have a day and a half <laughs> to really like work <laughs> out some of these ideas. Crap. Yeah, and and that was oh, you know, that, yeah. yeah, and that was his yeah. that was his response to everything was like, right. you know. The first pass is just to get it out there. And now you begin the process of sifting and sorting and, and finding a logical through line. And um, so, so when he retired, he was looking for a challenge. And he said, I'm thinking about writing a screenplay. And um, what should I do a screenplay about? And we had talked about um, um, Pauline Kael's um, essay. Yeah. yeah, we had talked about it, I think, in probably 1974 or something, when I, or 74, 75, when I read it, which is five years after it was published or something, or four years after it was published. Yeah. And um, so we both, we both sort of knew Mankiewicz as a, as a 
character careening, you know, caroming through through Hollywood at, at the time. And and so I broached that to him. And and this is a, this is a strange thing because when he when he introduced me to Kane, yeah, I was probably ten or twelve years old, mm-hmm. and he said, um, "Did he take you to the movies or did you see it on TV?" No, I saw it in film appreciation class in okay. in 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 uh, Marin County, okay. and I remember saying to him, "You know," and it was a sixteen millimeter TV print. It was just yeah. dog shit. I mean, it just it looked terrible. It was just this incredibly ravaged. Um, um, but I was, you know, blown away. I had never seen like, I'd never seen an adult movie in that way. You know, I'd seen, listen, I'd seen, you know, I'd seen 2001 and I still kind of at that time at 12 years old, wasn't quite sure. I mean, there was definitely shit in it that I thought was really interesting. And there was definitely stuff that it was unsettling and I kind of, couldn't reconcile it. And, and my father was the first person to point out that's okay. Like it's okay to have a movie that, that you have a hard time pigeonholing and, and putting away, you know, it's okay for this to get all over you and for you to figure out what that is. And that was really a, you know, a gift for me as a, as a kid that somebody would take me to a movie, I would sit and I would endure it for two and a half hours. And at the end of it, I would say, I, I was troubled by this. And he would say, good, you know, and then I would, and I would be looking for some sort of, um, um, you know, explanation or yeah. solace in, in, in some kind of pat way. And he would, he would be, uh, he, he enjoyed that, um, that there were things out there that you could see and that you could experience and that they would throw you off. You know, if it threw, if a movie threw you off for the rest of the night, like that was a, that was by his measure, that was a great thing. You know, that wasn't a, you know, the, the notion that you had to walk out of a theater going, ah, you know, was, you know, that, that was sort of beneath the dignity of the exchange. Right. And, and um, so he was, you know, at from seven years old, um, he was always there to kind of say, and 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 I returned the favor. You know, I took him to see Jaws, <laughs> which he was convinced he was. He had already heard all about the rubber shark, and he was not. And he watched the whole movie with his <laughs> with his feet on the on the seat, you know, his feet up on the. And I, and I also took him to see um, Alien, which um, I mean, he would not he wouldn't stop screaming. It was so much fun. It was, uh, he was, Oh, Oh God. You know, <laughs> he was so wrung right. out. Yeah. He was just, he was exhausted after the movie. He was drenched in sweat. Yeah. And, um, um, and so those were, the, the, those were experiences that we, that, that we shared that were, you know, I'm not going to say they were incredibly important, but they were very joyful. Um, um, uh, for my money, that's, that's what the, that's what movies can provide. You know, it's a great um, stirring of the intellectual pot and, and people who go to see the same, you know, the conversations that came uh, from having experienced things that he either thought this is going to be bullshit. And then he was just as 
smitten with them as I was, um, but also that he could say, you know, he, you know, when I saw Open City at 13 or something, and I was kind of like, I don't, you know, we had a conversation about that. And he would sort of explain, you know, he had a, obviously a, a much richer understanding of the Second World War than, <laughs> than I had had. And so this was, a, this was an ongoing dialogue. Anyway, I said to him, I've always been interested in Mankiewicz. And he said, oh, that's interesting. And, and again, I had been introduced to Cain through him and none of the conversation was about Herman Mankiewicz. It was always, well's this, well's that, you know, it was, it was, he was trying to explain to me, I, did, I had heard at least um, some of the War of the Worlds. So I knew, and I, and I, I had cassette tapes of... Um, the radio show? Yeah, yeah The Shadow. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I had that, and then, and then I'd heard, um, I had cassette tapes that um, friends had from their older siblings of war, um, war of the worlds. I know, who, you know, I knew who Wells was, and I certainly knew who Wells was via my father, which was this was a genius 25 year old who came to Hollywood and showed everybody how it was done. Mm -hmm. And, but initially, you know, in his first kind of explanation as to um, what was there to be appreciated in Kane, there was almost no, um, conversation about Mankiewicz mm. and it was only after I sort of you know said well, I might be interested in in reading a movie about Herman Mankiewicz um, that he went off and came back with a script and the script was this screed <laughs> against altruism and and I was like okay I'm not really interested in a in a um, posthumous you know, um, credit squabble. It was and, more along the lines of the Pauline KLS. Yeah, um, I'm gonna. I'm not gonna say it was. It was that. Um, it was that uh, didactic. Um, it was. Um, it was. It was certainly. Um, it was certainly. Um, it was certainly about um, a lost opportunity to to. Uh, it was not quite as Rosencrantz and Gildens as the movie ended up being it was a little more strident and felt to me it pointed out a, a, a number of things I had just finished um, making my first film for 20th Century Fox right. and so and I had worked with a handful of you know $125,000, $150,000 a week like Hollywood script doctors who had all come to do two or three weeks or five weeks or whatever on, on Alien 3. And the experience that I had um, was nothing like what Pauline Kael seemed to, <laughs> to be warning the world about. You know, here are these, um, um, you know, impetuous, you know, megalomaniacal, um, you know, brats, you know, crossing their arms and holding their breath until they get what it is. I mean, I'm I am overstating this for the yeah, hopefully for the purposes of uh, of humor and or I'm I'm exaggerating for effect, yeah. um, but but my experience of of the movie business was was not that directors had too much power, <laughs> but in fact the inverse of that. And I 
felt very much like a, um, you know, migrant, you know, um, um, uh, shop maker, you know, and, and so this, this, this newfound kind of, uh, um, vitriol for the auteur, um, it struck me as, as overly strident and it struck me as beside the point and it struck me as um, this was a, a view of the movie business that not only that I didn't share, but also I didn't feel he was qualified to, to, um, to, to make the case. So now again, that Jeff first draft- Was the Sinclair part, was that part of the original script? No. And okay. th- and that was an, it. And the Upton, the played by the, Bill Nye. Awesome, Cass. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad you like it. I love um, it. Yeah. Um, so we'll get back to that. R- remind me. Anyway, um, so he, um, so he had written this thing that didn't seem. Con- it didn't seem in keeping with him. It didn't yeah. seem in keeping with uh, what I had gleaned from. Pauline Kale. It didn't seem in keeping with. Um, um, uh, it didn't seem in keeping with what Hollywood, what my experience of Hollywood really was, um, and the, you know, at the same time that it was like you know, tisk tisk, shame on shame on megalomaniacs and the DGA. It was also strangely reverential at the at the same time to. Uh, Mayor and Thalberg, and 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 oh, really? Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, oh, because that, that, that it got away <laughs> from that. <laughs> well, again, there, there was there were. Listen, very few people come to the defense of Louis B. Mayer. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a there's a kind of cottage industry in 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 Thalberg's mythology, and 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 it's well deserved. You know, the guy the guy invented you know what he and selznick invented what we think of as the you know the most powerful creative producers and how they should behave and how many fingers they should have in whatever pie Mm -hmm. those guys invented that and and more power to them um but but originally the script was um it seems to be it seemed to be on the little road to the side of the interstate and not on the interstate itself. And so I said to him, you know, I, I kind of get what you're trying to do here, but, um, but I'm not sure I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that the view of the view of Hollywood is not something that I recognized and I live here and, and I, and I walk these halls and, and I, and and I can't believe that um, I can't believe that it would be as different than I can't believe that it would be that different. And so he went, oh, okay, well that's it. So he went and did shit ton more research and and came back with more anecdotal. Um, one of the little moments that he had in it, which was questioned up until the day be, or two days before we shot it, was. Mayer and Thalberg's relationship at the time of Thalberg's death. He had written this thing where um, Mayer tosses his handkerchief out the window and, and the car drives away. And, and I remember thinking, well, everything I've ever read 
you know, sort of position Thalberg as the, you know, the, the lost son of, of Louis B. Mayer that he really like, and, and so we went back through, you know, tons of, of research finding and, and only to realize that, and Jack was right that at the moment in time that, um, um, Thalberg passed tragically at the age of 36 or 37, he, um, he, had renegotiated uh, a deal or an ownership deal within months, I'm going to say nine months, maybe less than a year um, of, of his demise. He had renegotiated a deal wherein, um, you know, the, the, the New York uh, money had finally thrown up their hands and said, look, as much as we love Irving and as much as we think he classes, you know, our entire Culver City operation up immeasurably. All we're going to do is give this guy 23% of this company. We can't go any further. And I think it was the last two or 3% of, um, of what Thalberg basically refused to kind of go to work until he was made whole in a way that he felt um, reflected his contribution. Yeah. And those last points came from Mayer. And Mayer was pissed. <laughs> and Mayer, I think, so, so, you know, when we actually went back and, you know, a year ago and we're doing the research on it, we were like, wow, you know, Jack tended to get things. I mean, he was, he was pretty, um, he was a bit of a pit bull when it came to things that he would find that would sort of explain these moments that he'd written. Anyway, <clears throat> he wrote this thing. It did not have, uh, Upton Sinclair in it. And it, it just seemed a little bit like a finger wagging screed. And so I it's said, you know, right. what, what? Against Wells. Against Well, or against, against it was, it was the sort of general um, writer's malaise, you know, it was sort of general, it was sort of, um, it was, uh, it, let's put it this way. It seemed, um, you know, there, I think that peop, people often, um, I think that there's a real complexity to the predicament of, of uh, who does what. And I was interested in the idea of this collaboration and I had yeah. seen, um, uh, and I was interested in the idea of sort of the enforced collaboration. That is to say, there's 23 chromosomes from the writer and there's, and then somebody has to put this thing on its feet. And this is why, you know, as I told you, this is, this is why it's frustrating for me to be positioned as a, as anti Wells. Cause I'm, I'm not anti, I think, you know, Orson was a fucking genius from, from from day one and what he did at 25 um is it's inconceivable to me that um that he arrived uh, at that point so thoroughly uh, baked you know i mean he just he 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 arrived fully realized yeah. and that's a that's a and, and I think, you know, for my money, the, the thing that, that makes that possible yeah. was that his, 
um, forgets his, you know, prowess as a, as a, as an actor or his, or his, you know, ability to sort of be um, the ringmaster for, for, for a group of, uh, of very talented people. He was, um, he was somebody who he could, he was a showman and he was a showman of, of unbelievable um, skill and just natural, you know, it's, 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 it's almost like when you saw Cirque du Soleil for the first time and you, you kind of go, these guys figured it all out. They just, they went and they looked at circuses and they said, no, 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 hang on a sec. Here's what we're going to do. And you watched it and you just went, of course, of mm-hmm. course, this is, this is what the circus should be. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the understanding of how to keep the audience engaged you know, I, I often make this um, case is like if I was running a movie studio, I would not have a, a bunch of VPs running around who have, you know, an English degree from from Stanford. I would say, look, how long have you worked to Cirque du Soleil? Because the people who understand how to put the clown into uh, uh you know, that you introduce the clown and he doesn't really make that big of an impression, but you laugh and you, and then he goes away and then he comes back and it's, it's a hearken to the thing that he had done earlier. And then he breaks your heart yeah. and then he goes away. And then the next time he comes and he's redeemed and, yeah. and, and the understanding of that in terms of how to um, keep people captivated, that was just something that, that, um, that Wells just had, you know, and rhythm, his sense of rhythm is uncanny. You yeah. Know, and it, and it, really hear it. And, and a great ear. Yeah. And a great ear for like, yeah. we're done. It, it, I mean, that was the thing, even at 12 years old, you know, that I could see. Yeah. This is a guy who knows when he's made his point and he's on to the next. And, yeah, right. and that is, you know, you, you, you that is that is everything in movies, you know. Outstaying your welcome is 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 the you know is the curse of making you know for for most people it's yeah. the problem with making sure that you made your point is is you know for the most part that people don't have that kind of confidence in their audience or they don't have that confidence in their in their storytelling ability and so they you know they become redundant or they out they just they the guests that wouldn't leave. And he never had that. He yeah. never had that problem. Yeah. But, but, um, but what was interesting to me was, so, so this first draft that Jack wrote was, um, it was getting there. It was interesting. I mean, it certainly was, you know, Mankiewicz's greatest hits as far as quips and, and, uh, and quibbles that people had jotted down during his lifetime. Um, and and Jack had arranged them in a way that had an interesting arc to it and, and an interesting sort of movement through this period in his life and and flashbacks that may or may not give us uh, insight into um, the decisions that he made and why. Yeah. Um, but uh, it just it just seemed like it was ultimately about um, you know Rosencrantz and Guildenstern were. Yeah mistreated and now here was a chance to write that wrong and i just thought I, I, i'm not interested in that and he and he went away and 
And a year later or two, he came back with this uh, idea about Upton Sinclair. And which is really like the emotional linchpin of the film. Let's hope, but you know, what was, what was, what was initially puzzling to me was it, it felt to me like we were getting, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I thought 1996 or 97, this is all quaint, you know, and, and, but are there uh, enough octogenarians who, whose right, righteous indignation can be, you know, stoked by, <laughs> by the 1934 gubernatorial race and, and will anyone else care, you know? Right. And, and what he said, which I thought was really interesting is we have a guy who spent a good portion of his life, probably 35% of his output in his life as a Hollywood screenwriter was uncredited. And this one time he drew a line in the sand. He crossed his arms, held his breath and stomped his feet until he was acknowledged. What if there's another aspect of his life that we see kind of like, you know, sort of in the same vein as what um, Manquist had done for uh, Wizard of Oz, where he was brought in and he said, look, I don't know what to do with this. I don't think it makes a very good movie, but here's my idea. Start in Kansas in black and white, go to Munchkin land. It's in color, come back to Kansas. It's in black and white. That's the best I got. I, you know, (laughs) and, and it might be the greatest special effect of all time. It may be, you know, if, if 2 billion people have seen, the Wizard of Oz, and I think that's probably that's probably a safe safe bet. Um, you know, that may be the most influential special effect of of the history in the history of cinema, and and he didn't much care about that. He certainly didn't like look for any kind of like he he, he wasn't there going, hey, wait a minute, that was you know he was fine to move on. So. We, we, he, Jack's idea, and I thought, and it began to be more interesting um, later on when I saw it in practice as opposed in, in theoretically, um, that this notion of, of Herman's, um, I say it here, it comes out there, and, and, there's, and what did he want as his legacy? Yeah. And, and so that, so that, you know, it became a, 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 it became a different way of looking at um, his stay in Victorville. And, and I think it energized his stay in Victorville. And I think that it gave us, and I'm not so sure that, you know, for me, the thing that was most resonant about, you know, Shelley Metcalf as a, as a um, subplot was the, was the aspect of getting to have somebody who, who, whose, whose trip west was ostensibly to, you know, bilk the Nickelodeon ma- makers for enough money to cover his, his gambling debts. Yeah. And, and that ultimately he found um, that his voice mattered in some kind of way. And so this thing that he had contempt for, this thing that he could care less whether he got credit for, um, eventually that came to a point where he had done something that was, he'd been, listen, got to give it to Wells. He carpet bombed the beach. He had, you know, he gave, he gave 
Mankwitz a, a running start at redemption and gave him, you know, a, 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 um, um, an opportunity to take the real risks, invest his real um, loves and bile in, in telling a story that um, he was uniquely positioned to recount. And, um, and this is not to say that he wasn't rewritten. And this is not to say that scenes weren't, um, you know, bifurcated, you know, vivisectioned, moved. And, and this is not to say that a lot of work didn't happen on the script. Um, it's simply to say for one brief shining moment, you know, um, Hollywood's most um, irascible mal malcontent said, I want to be part of this. Yeah. And, and that was what was interesting to me. Yeah, I mean, he never wrote another movie like Citizen Kane, and Wells never directed another movie like Citizen Kane. I mean, that's the thing. It's stuff. a pretty good, yeah. I mean, it, listen, if you, you know, I've been lucky enough to be involved in a couple of movies where the trajectories of the people involved, um, uh, you know, I would say seven, you know, the, 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 the notion of where Brad was in his life, where Morgan was in his life, where Kevin was in his life, where Gwyneth was in her life and how all those personalities crossed over and, and how um, their curiosity and their hard work and their just wanting to be there um, rubbed off on each other and created something that has a frisson. It's yeah. not to equate that to Citizen Kane, but simply to say, I was there and, and, and I know what that's like. And, and, and you don't get, you know, you don't get struck by lightning very often when it does happen. It's interesting to note. I mean, I think social network is a, is an, is another case of um, this. And this is not self aggrandizement. It's simply to say, as I would, the moment that I was given permission to look outside of, um, you know, the actors for the highest Q ratings, you know, in order to ca cast a movie. And, and you know, m my first extracted promise from the head of the studio on that was, I'm going to find you 22 to 25-year-olds. And I can't, I don't want to talk about their, um, their box office. I need to just, I need to find fresh faces. They have to be applicable to the story that we're telling and I need the freedom to cast whomever. Yeah. And once that happened and you started to see, wow, this it's Jesse Eisenberg, you know, um, next to this Andrew Garfield, next to Justin Timberlake, next to, you know, um, uh, I, it, it was, it was exciting. It was, it, it, you know, it's, it reminded me, it was a little like American graffiti, you, you know, you, you, or the Godfather, you look at those movies and you think without those faces, this, this thing doesn't, this can, has no chance to get off the ground, you know? Um, um, and, then, and then speaking of faces, I just obviously wanted to ask you about Gary Oldman because you needed somebody who's a virtuoso. Yes. Right. Yeah. Um, Listen, um, a, a lot's been, you know, a, a lot's been written about, you know, Gary's age. A lot's been written about, you know. Um, that doesn't uh, really feel like a relevant. Uh... <laughs> it's never been relevant to me. <laughs> I, I never occurred.
occurred to me. I, 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 I feel a wreck. Her and Mankiewicz, you look at pictures of him. Really well, like and that, that's what we were going off of. You know, I, I, I really do believe that at 43 or 44, Herman Mankiewicz looked like he was my age. And I think Gary looks like he's about my age. That's as far as I'm willing to get into it. You know, in in my business, best actor wins. Best actor wins. Like, you you do yourself no favors by casting um, um, somebody who has lesser skills because they have the hairline that you're looking for. (laughs) Yeah. Fix it in post. So, um, yeah. No, but Gary, and, and, yeah, but go you ahead. need somebody who's a virtuoso because it's like an aria. Well, it's also, you know, from, from the standpoint of, of, listen, this is not a cautionary tale about an alcoholic. I've never been interested in cautionary tales. The problem with cautionary tales is that there's a sort of moralizing that that's, you know, de facto part of the, you know, the, the marrow of the thing. Um, it's incredibly, really? what? <laughs> really? Do you think so? Uh... <laughs> well, but I, I just mean that there's, there's, you know, there, there's an, um, Herman Mankiewicz did not pull up on the stick. He did not miss the mountain. He, he, he flew headlong into, you know, when you die of, you know, uremic poisoning, you know, it's, it's, it's slow, it's horrible. And it's, and it's the kind of thing that, um, you know, so many people loved him. Like the fact that he could, that, that he was not able to be saved is, uh, you know, it's very, it's very sad. Now, we didn't want to deal with that. And we, and, and we, and we knew that um, I was more worried about getting to Dudley Moore with, with Herman than I was in, in I, was, I was worried more about making him um, the funny life of the party um, than I was in talking about the, the cautionary aspects of his uh, indulgences. Like but, um, right. Well, again, you know, the, the, the system that's in place for a working alcoholic. Um, yeah, right. No, I know. Is, you know, in a, a lot of ways. Either you're yeah. an alcoholic or the days of wine and roses, right? Yeah. Well, exactly. Or, you know, yeah. Ray Milland. Um, um and and I've never been. Um, yeah, it, th- that seemed beside the point. You know, the, the the story was about a guy who had a skill set, and he certainly had enough people in his life to give him the truth about um, uh, his work, his lifestyle. You know, I, and 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 somehow that he never. He never pulled up. So, but I didn't want to get into, I didn't want to get into, I, I, I was, I was, I was interested in, in the working or the highly functioning alcoholic in as much as that's the true story of Herman Mankiewicz. You know, that's certainly an, an aspect of, of, uh, of why he became um, Rosencrantz or Guildenstern, I'm not sure which one. <laughs> why, why he's sort of left in the, um, in the wings, in the, um, in the annals of time. Um, but 
to get back to Gary Oldman, though, I mean, yeah. You, so Gary, you could you, do that kind of big. Well, man. well, it's not even the it's not even the size of the breadth of the performance as right. much as it is. Look, here here's here's the amazing thing about Gary Oldman. He's never less than than preposterously truthful. He is not interested in adjust course correcting or adjusting the rough edges of the text in order to reflect um a character who might be more yeah more more embraceable right, right. you know what I mean he's sid fucking vicious for christ's yeah. sake it's like he never like it's like he's never it's never occurred to him to to make modifications to be you know obsequiously more beloved you know he he's willing to he's willing to say that look there are things about this guy that are just ugly on the surface of it you know he's 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 a contrarian he likes to poke and prod and 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 tease people he's he's not above at any moment sort of saying you know it's funny i've been listening to you for the last five minutes and here's where i think you're full of shit and 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 Everyone else in the room laughs and he moves on. And, you know, that, that was part and parcel of, of who this guy was. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if you're going to do that, mm -hmm. I, I mean, I'll take it. Do you have a better idea? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got to ask you about Bill Nye. That's just. <laughs> <laughs> Bill Nye. Okay. So I'll tell you, here's the true story. Oh, oh, and before we get to Bill Nye, I'll just say, okay. Amanda Seyfried is just great. She's just great. And, I mean, and I'll say it right back to you. Yeah. Amanda Seyfried is just great. She yeah. is. Now, Amanda came to us um, uh, late in yeah. the um, proceedings. And partially this is because, um, you know, she's a working actress and, and, and people you know, she's, she's booked. And so by the time we, by the time we were ready to go out and, and, and make an offer for, for her or to see if she was interested, she was already shooting something else. And so it got, um, you know, it, I'm sure that there were a lot of people didn't want me getting my hopes up. I'm sure that there are a lot of people that didn't want her getting her hopes up. There were a lot of people trying to make sure that whatever happened in this, in this interaction, if it didn't come together, that it would not come together for reasons that everybody understood and there would be no hard feeling. So it ended up being a slightly protracted feel out. Yeah. And, um, and when I finally sent her the script and got to do exactly this, we zoomed one, one night, yeah. um, very, very late. She was, she did us the, the great um, service of reading the script during the day. And then I got to sort of pitch her, um, my wares and, and what I was interested in doing with the, but she was, um, um, I've told the story, but I do want to tell it again, because I think it, it, it's, 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 there's, there's the thing that you look for from an actor in terms of, yeah, obviously accents, can they, you know, are, are they, are they capable of doing that sort of on their own? Will they be, you know, vigilant or diligent enough to, to do, but you, because I don't, I don't want to police an actor. I, I want, I want the, to give them, you know, if they want to work with a dialogue coach, I want to give them the opportunity to, to do that, but I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to be the person that comes in and goes, here's, we've got to have this from you. I want to say, Hey, this is the part. 
tell me what you see and tell me what you and and what to what degrees to what extent will you go you know um um and she so i i did this um zoom skype with her and i was you know as as you can hear me here talking in concentric circles and 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 trying to find the words and trying to sort of explain you know and and trying to split hairs and in, in, in certain aspects of we weren't reclaiming Marion Davies. We weren't rectifying a, a wrong that was, we were, we were going to touch on, you know, whether or not Mankiewicz was malicious or, or uncaring or whether he's specific, you know, we were, we were going to play in, in that whole sandbox, but I'm doing my normal, you know, bullshit and, and talking and, 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 you know, sort of ephemera. And she was so lovely in helping me pitch her. And, and I realized as I was talking to her, it's not that she was, she wasn't trying to move it along. She wasn't being like, Dave, it's one o'clock in the morning here on the East coast. You want to like, you know, I, I've heard most of what you have to say. She was uh, forget, um, active listening she was she was foaming the runway for me she was greasing the rails she was and and as she was doing it you know it's probably half hour to 45 minutes in i started thinking to myself all of these things that she naturally kind of does to make me feel okay about wanting her to be in this movie and you know at the same time saying listen i totally understand if you're overworked or whatever yada 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 but but I realized, my God, for the woman who's going to give you a tour of her zoo, like yeah. she needs to have this, like she needs to have this, um, this ability to sort of, you know, it's not a solicitive, you know, it's not, it's, it's a, um, you know, some movie stars go another way to make you feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there, there are a handful of them, you know, Brad Pitt's one of them. And, and, and a lot of times he gets, you know, um, um, you know, people will say, Oh, he's doing the aw shucks thing. Well, he does that, you know, because he was raised right. And he knows that it can be intimidating to be, so he will defer to this thing in order for the other person to feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. And I was real. I realized that this was being done to me and I thought, wow, this is Dave, you know, don't miss this. This is a grand opportunity here. She's, she's illuminating for you something that you desperately need right. in this character for this film. And I thought, okay. Um, so that, and, and also I will say that, you know, Amanda is, she's a bit of a kook, you know, not, not in a, not in a, she's, she's exactly the kind of actor that I love, which is she takes in what it is that you say, but she doesn't necessarily feel that it, it, it can percolate, it can roll around in there a little, it can rattle around, and then she'll, she'll figure out a way to sort of, you know, uh, allow it to, to come out in behaviors later on. And there were moments where, you know, Eric Roth, who was, who's, um, a, was a producer on the film, one of my producing partners, and his chair was almost always like within six to seven feet from, from mine. And I remember there were times, 
Yeah. There were so many times when Amanda would say something in this way that she'd never done it in rehearsal or like mm -hmm. it would just kind of fly out. Mm -hmm. um, and we, I would look and both of us would, our heads would snap and we'd be looking at each other at the same time. And I'd be like, that's amazing. And he'd be like, yeah, I know. Like there were just things that she, little moments of inspiration, little x-rays from space that would come down and kind of um, send the, the, you know, a rehearsal into this other realm. And it was, it was wonderful. It was wonderful to see somebody show up who had steeped themselves in all, and then was ready to just let their freak flag fly. You know, she was just ready to go, you know, okay, is this too Brooklyn? It was like, eh, maybe let's do one where we pull it back a little bit. And then, and it was, it was fun. It was a, it was a, a wild experiment, but, but, you know, again, like I say, you know, in my business, best actor wins, right. You know, when, when, when it's right there in front of you and yeah. it's good, get out of the way. Don't overthink it. Arliss Howard, man. Unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, first of all, he's unrecognizable. Oh, good. I had, I had and I don't mean that like he's a, he's a wonderful looking man, but, but I wanted, I did want people to go that yeah. Louis Mayer. He's, is he like an otter? Like, yeah. you see, like, he's, he's like an otter with glasses. Yeah. Uh, the way that he's so hurt, you know, at the party. and constantly crying, you know, I, yeah. I love the idea of the guy who's like, you know, yeah. completely oblivious to other people's feelings and, but bursting into tears. Yeah. Tough night. Bad night. <laughs> yeah. 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 No. You, I, long night. Yeah. Long night. Long short night. One. Long night. Plague, but plagued with spirits. Yeah. <laughs> plagued by spirits. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, I mean, obviously when we're talking about the best actor, that brings us back to Bill Nye. Okay. As, so Bill Nye that, was, <laughs> Bill Nye was a, um, I had originally had another idea yeah. and, um, and I was walking past the art department and the art department in um, at our building where we do pre-production, you know, one of the first things that Don Burt does is he just plasters the walls with photographs of right. the era, what the, you know, so there was an entire, you know, nine foot by 12 foot wall filled with three by five size photographs of San Simeon. And then there was, okay, well, here's the Paramount backlot. And here's, here's a bunch of frame grabs from Sunset Boulevard. Here's the writers, you know, the little veal fattening pens over by the, by the, uh, by the mill, you know, close to the Gower gates. And so we would go and we would, we, we would look at that stuff. And I remember walking past this image and I've always seen the, the, the more sort of, it was upped in, in his kind of, probably in his seventies, you know, I'd always seen him as the sort of patrician, mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, uh, muckraker mode, you know, um, much more like a, and, and I, and then I saw a photo of Upton when he was in his fifties, which would, you know, late forties, early fifties. And this was more of the period because I'd always seen him as an, as an elderly man. And then I saw this, this younger photo of him. And I thought, good God, he looks like Bill Nye, doesn't he? And so I went to Lorraine and I said, this is a weird idea. But what about Bill Nye for Upton Sinclair? And she said, that's great. I'll call him. And I said, great to find out. 
and within an hour, they said, Bill would love to talk to you about it. And I said, okay, great. And then he came in and I said, look, would you like to play Upton Sinclair in this thing? And he, yeah. And he brought his script and he was like ready to read. And I said, no, no, no. View. I know that you can sound like a reasonable, um, um, thoughtful and, um, um, and, and eloquent um, um, I know that you will be able to proffer a reasonable, elegant, and, and articulate argument for anything. So I just need you to do it for socialism. And he said, okay. And I said, okay, great. We'll see you down there. <laughs> and he came and he was, he was wonderful. Yeah, yeah. He was on Dancing with the Stars once. I did not know that. It would not have, it, it, it wouldn't have given me pause. You still like him. Yeah, no, I mean, he, was, he talked about it on, a, on an episode of Science Rules. I'm being on 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 Dancing with Stars. Really, or something like that. Yeah, funny. Yeah, he's a funny man. Yeah, he's very sweet. And he came and he was, you know, he's so like, oh, is is so. I was like, you just do it the way you would do it. Like, yeah. you just need to be. You need to be somebody who's caring and compelling. Yeah, and make your case. Yeah, and he was like, okay, and he did that. We did it. I don't know, eighteen times or something, and yeah. put three cameras on it. We were done. That's cool. David, I just, I can't thank you enough for doing this. It means so much to me. I just want to stay right here. Gets me. I don't believe you when you say that. It's, maybe it's because I can see your face. See, if you've do, actually done this as a podcast, I might have, uh, I mean, certainly vocally, I, I was I was almost there. I was nine out of 10. But then when I see it, it's so cynical and I know, jaded. I know. I know. And we can see, we can see like, the horrendous upbringing that you've overcome to get where you are today. That's what happens, you know, a year. <laughs>